Listen to this story. A priest and a rabbi go to a party. The priest sits down by the rabbi and says, you know, you got to try some of this ham, rabbi. I know it's against your religion to eat pork, but this is Virginia honey-baked ham, and it is absolutely delicious. The rabbi responds, I am not eating ham. Well, the priest isn't about to give up, so he says to the rabbi, man, when are you going to loosen up and live a little? The rabbi says, okay, okay, I'll tell you when I'll eat ham. When, says the priest. The rabbi replies, at your wedding. I think that story is kind of interesting because, you know, so many people think of religion as a set of rules, right? You can't do this, you have to do that. This week I heard somebody describe Christianity with two words that really grab my attention. Two words that, that capture the essence of what the Christian faith is all about. And here are those two words. Are you ready? Love affair. Christianity is a love affair between God and his people. It's a relationship where God wants us to love him deeply, because he loves us. Take a look at this verse. This is from the book of Ephesians. It says, long before he laid down earth's foundation, this is speaking of God, long before he did that, he had us in mind and settled on us as the focus of his love to be made, and notice this, whole and holy by his love. That's an incredible thought, that God focuses his love on us. Now today, we're going to be concluding our series on worship And in this message, I want to do this. I want to review some of the things that we've talked about in the past few weeks in regard to worship. And here's a central idea. It has to do with the definition of worship. Worship is expressing our love to God. That's what we do here on Sunday mornings together in this place. We express our love to God. Now, how many of you ever saw the film Forrest Gump? How many of you saw it more than once? It's one of my favorite films, and there are a lot of themes in that movie, but one theme that is central to the film is the relationship between Forrest and his childhood sweetheart. And what is her name? Jenny. As a young boy, Forrest falls in love with Jenny, and she becomes the center of his world. And whether he's playing football or fighting in Vietnam or whether he's a captain of a shrimp boat, his heart and his mind are devoted to Jenny. Now, what does Forrest want more than anything in the whole world? He wants Jenny to do what? To love him. And why does he want Jenny to love him? Because he what? He loves her. Do you realize, and this is a profound thought, do you realize that the reason God wants you to love him is because he loves you? In fact, the Bible says this, that we love because he first loved us. Christianity really is a love affair between God and his people. And if you were describing how Forrest feels about Jenny... You might use this phrase, he worships her. Because worship is really an expression of love. Now, sometimes for some people, expressing love can be difficult. For some people, it's hard to say those words, I love you. It's like the story about a little girl and a little boy who are playing one day. The girl says to the boy, hey, Tommy. Hey, Tommy, you want to play house? He says, sure. Um, What do you want me to do? The girl replies, I want you to communicate your feelings. Communicate my feelings, says a bewildered Tommy. I have no idea what that means. The little girl smirks and says, Perfect, you can be the husband. (laughs) You know, it's true for some of us. It's difficult to really communicate the way we feel to other people. And there can be a number of reasons for that. You know, some of you, maybe um, someone who was raised in a home 
where feelings weren't openly expressed. You just didn't hear um, people say, I love you. For others, um, you, you may be a guy, and you can probably complete this statement. Big boys don't, yeah, you used to man up, tough it out, okay? And then there's, there's people that have been deeply hurt in the past by, by people that they love very much. Heard a story this, this week at work camp um, from a girl who was hurt very deeply, and so she said that she locked her heart away and built a wall around it that nobody could penetrate. Friends, there's no doubt that our our past experience affects our ability to express love to people, but it also can affect our ability to express love to God. And that's why it's so important to understand that Christianity, at its core, is a love affair between God and His people. Look at this verse. This is God speaking in the book of Hosea. It says this, I don't want your sacrifice. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. And you can just hear the cry of God's heart. He really loves his people, and he wants his people to love him back. Now, here's the question. How can we express our love to God? What are some practical ways that we do that? And that's what we're going to focus on as we review this topic of worship. And here's the first thing. We express love to God by obeying him. We express love to God by obeying him. Look at this verse. This is Jesus speaking. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, one of the best examples in the Bible of somebody who obeyed God was Noah. Now, look at this verse from Hebrews about Noah. It says, by faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. Now think about this. One day God tells Noah, hey Noah, listen, the world's a mess. People are recklessly self-centered and violent. So I'm going to send a flood and start over with you and your family. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to construct a giant ship. Um, Three stories high, it will be a floating zoo that will save you and the animals I've made. Now, were there any reasons for Noah to hesitate to obey God? Well, yeah, let me point out several. Here's my top three. Number one, Noah had no idea what rain was because the Bible says it had not yet rained upon the earth. Another reason is this. Noah lives hundreds of miles from the nearest ocean. And number three, he had to be wondering, how am I going to round up all these animals and get them on the ark and take care of them and feed them? Now, did Noah complain? No. He trusted God and he obeyed God and God was pleased because when we obey God, it proves that we trust him and love him. Now, if you're a parent, let me ask you this. Um, How do you feel when you have your son or your daughter do exactly what you've asked them to do? How do you feel? Anybody? Does it feel good? Are you pleased? Are you joyful? Well, of course you are. Now, think about this from God's perspective. When God gives us a command and we obey him, how does that make God feel? It pleases God when we obey him because it proves that we really love him and we believe that he knows what's best for our lives. But here's the deal. So often we offer God partial obedience. We pick and choose the commands we want to obey and often disregard the ones we don't. The ones that seem, you know, a little unreasonable or or difficult or unpopular. That teenage boy who says, you know, what do you mean God says I shouldn't? Sleep with my girlfriend. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's just unreasonable. Everybody else is doing it. Or the man who says, well, I'll go to church and, you know, I'll read my Bible, but when it comes to being completely truthful in my sales presentation, it's just not very practical. I'll lose my job if I do that. Or the young woman who says, yeah, 
Um, I'll go to the ladies' Bible study, and, and I'll even serve in the nursery, but honestly, when it comes to forgiving that person who hurt me so deeply, that's just too hard. I can't, I can't obey that command. Friends, partial obedience is really disobedience. God wants us to obey him because we love him and because we really believe that he knows what's best for us even when his commands seem to be unreasonable or unpopular or really, really hard. Look at this verse from Psalm 119. King David says this, Just tell me what to do and I'll do it, Lord. As long as I live, I'll wholeheartedly obey. Church, listen carefully. An act of obedience is an act of worship. An act of obedience is an act of worship. Why? Because when you obey God, it proves that you love and trust Him. You really do believe He knows what's best for you. So let me ask you this. In what area of your life do you need to trust God and obey Him completely? In what area of your life are you offering God partial obedience? And where does that need to change? Now, here's another way that we express love to God. Secondly, we express, express love to God through constant conversation. Constant conversation. What do couples who are in love talk to each other about? What's the answer? If you, has anybody here ever been in love? Okay. Some of you remember dating. When couples are in love, what do they talk to each other about? Yes, everything. I mean, it's, it's real simple, right? And, and here's something else. An important way to rekindle love in a marriage is to talk to your spouse about, yeah, everything. You know, when, when people come to me and say, hey, you, we're having a you know, struggle in our marriage, I give them a homework assignment. And the first thing I ask is, well, how much time are you spending with each other just talking about your day? And often they say, not much time or not at all. And so I say, here's the deal. Every day for 15 minutes, when you come home, sit on the couch and talk about everything. Now, here's what's interesting. When you love God, what do you talk to God about? What's the answer, church? Yeah, everything. You talk to God about everything. Look at this verse. It says, I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. You see, you'll never really grow close to God just by coming here on a Sunday morning. Or even by just having a quiet time. And you kind of just checked it off the list. Had my quiet time today. God, we're done. I'll see you tomorrow morning. You see, God wants you to, to talk to him throughout the day. He wants to be your constant companion. You can talk to God when you're doing anything. Um, when you're working, you can talk to God when you're shopping. You can even talk to God when you're driving. I did a lot of talking to God when I was driving this week between here and South Carolina. But you have to remember, of course, to pray with your eyes open. But you can talk to God any time, and God wants you to do that because that deepens your relationship with Him. There's a classic book that was written uh, just a long time ago um, by a guy, his name is Brother Lawrence. He was a, a monk in a, a French monastery, and he wrote this book, it's called The Practice of the Presence of God, and he talked about having this running conversation with God throughout the day. And that's what he did. Whether he was preparing food or washing dishes, he was just always talking to God. Now, there's something... Um, that's really interesting that people have been doing, Christians have been doing this for, for a long time. It's called breath prayers. Have, have you ever heard that term before, anybody? Breath prayers? It's something like this, a prayer that you can say in one breath to remind you of God's presence and God's promises. For example, you could just say, God, I'm depending on you right now. That's a breath prayer. You can just say it one one breath. You could say, God, I know that you're with me. 
God, thank you for loving me. God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for guiding me. Those are called breath prayers. And what the monks used to do in the monasteries, they would ring bells at certain times of the day, and that bell would remind them to, to pray. Now, how many of you know how to set an alert on your cell phone? Anybody know how to do that? You could actually use your cell phone and set alerts that would remind you, hey, I can pray and I can talk to God. And that gets you into this habit of constant conversation. Now, here's the third way to express love to God. Number three, we express love to God through weekly worship with our church family. Weekly worship with our church family. Now, can you worship God in places other than church? What do you think? Well, absolutely. Can you worship God on the golf course? Yes. In a boat? At the beach? Can you worship God mowing the lawn? Yes, you can. But here's something we should never underestimate. The power of coming together to worship God. Look at this verse from Hebrews. It says this, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That refers to the day of Christ's return. And so when we get together, we're supposed to encourage one another. Now, as a pastor, I've heard a lot of comments about worship over the years. And I've heard things like, well, you know, Pastor, I just, I love the worship this morning. It made me feel so good. And I've heard people say, well, you know, Pastor, I didn't get anything out of worship today. Of course, I, what I usually hear or think when I, when I hear somebody say that is, number one, they didn't like the music. And number two, they, d- they didn't think the message really applied to them. Now, here's the thing. When I hear a comment like that, it reminds me that worship is not primarily about us, is it? Who is worship about? It's about God. And there are people who basically come into worship and they expect to have this emotional experience. And if they feel the way they wanted to feel or the way they expected to feel emotionally, then worship was good. And if they didn't feel the way they wanted to feel, then they say, well, worship wasn't so good. But who is the audience in worship? We talked about this before. There's an audience of one, and it's God. Now, now church, don't misunderstand. When we come to worship, we benefit from worship. The Bible is very clear about that. Psalm 29 is this beautiful psalm about hearing the voice of God. And when we hear the voice of God, he blesses us with strength and with peace. But when we come to worship, we are coming to offer ourselves to God, to offer our lives to him. Now, quick review here. We express love to God by, first of all, obeying him. Secondly, through constant conversation. Thirdly, through weekly worship. And here's the fourth thing. We express love to God by using our abilities for Him. Look at this verse. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. Now, this past week, I had a great opportunity to see this, this verse in action. I want to tell you a little bit about our experience in, in Greenwood, South Carolina. It was quite... Um, It was quite remarkable, just the scope of what was being attempted. There were over 400 students from all over the country who had come together. We stayed in a high school. We slept on the floor in the classrooms. And they had over 60 work projects for us to tackle. And people were divided onto different crews. And typically what they do is they have different students from different places serve with a uh, crew leader so they get to know other kids from other parts of the country. Um, There were a whole bunch of students from Canada, Um, And it was really cool because um, they were celebrating their Independence Day this week, and so were we. And there was a lot of, like, 
jest and bantering going back and forth between the U.S. and Canada during the week. There was a, a large group of students from Korea there as well. Um, one of the, the students on my team was, um, was from Korea. And the people there in Greenwood um, had needs, and some of those needs involved um, building a, a wheelchair ramp for a home or repairing a deck or painting, all kinds of home maintenance issues. And what was really remarkable is what I saw take place during the week. As many of you know, um, Charleston, South Carolina has been the epicenter of news in the last several weeks because of the shooting that took place in the church there. And there is, as we all know, a great need for racial reconciliation in our nation. There just continues to be this, this divide that we've experienced. The residents, the people who um, had needs in their homes were predominantly African-American. And they came from the poor side of town. And, and I remember talking with the, uh, the lady um, who owned the house where we were working. She was a widow. She was 84 years old, couldn't pay for any of these repairs, couldn't obviously do them herself. And the perception that those, those residents had was that here are all these kids who have kind of given up their summer, at least a week of their summer, and they've, they've come to my house to help me. And the kids were predominantly white kids. And they were viewed by many of these people as kind of rich white kids. And so it was remarkable to listen to the dialogue and to see the dynamic that was happening. And the lady um, where we were serving, her name was Mary. She said to me, she's at lunchtime, because we would get together and eat, you know, with our crew and we would have devotions with the residents. She said, seeing these young people here at my home gives me hope for the future. Isn't that great? And I remember on Friday night, we had the opportunity to invite all of these residents to come to a big worship celebration. And there were just hundreds, five or six hundred people probably in this this big high school gym singing and praising God. And it reminded me of that, that children's song, Red and Yellow, Black and White. They are precious in His sight. And I looked around that place and I said, you know, God, the world is such a mess, but there is hope because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are seeing that play out. And I got to tell you, students, I see many of you here this morning. Thank you for being here. I know you're tired. But it was a joy for me to work with you this week. And it was a joy for me to see you experience what I experienced with you as well. And you know, just thinking about this idea of worship, we worship from the time we got up to the time we went to bed. Because we would start the morning and we would get together and sing. And then we would go to our work sites and we would worship with a hammer in our hand or a paintbrush, right? Because worship is what? Using your abilities for God. And so we were showing our love to God by showing love to people. And then we would come back at night and worship together and then do it again the next day. And so we really had not just a week of work. We had a week of what? A week of worship. And people's lives were deeply changed because of that. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But let me point out one final way that we can express our love to God. And this is on your outline. We express love to God by giving generously. Now, let me give you an important principle about giving. And I'm just going to talk about this very briefly. The principle is this. You can give without loving. Do you hear that? You can give without loving. You can give because you're forced to give. Did anybody pay taxes? Okay. You can give without loving. You can be coerced. You can be made to feel guilty. But here's the flip side of that. You cannot love without giving. It just doesn't happen. Because when you love, you naturally give. 
You give your money, you give your time, you give your talents, you give yourself. Now look at this verse from 2 Corinthians about giving and love. It says this, But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And notice this statement, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. See, our financial support of God's work is a test of how sincere our love really is. Because when we love God, we are willing to give to his work in the world to see people's lives changed. And look at this verse about the heart of giving. You must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves the person who gives how? Cheerfully. Giving should be a joy for us, and here's why. Because Christianity is a love affair between God and his people. And we should give because we're grateful for God's great love for us. Well, let me close with with one final thought as we wrap up this whole series on worship. And I want to address this question. How do you worship God when life is hard? When it's really hard? When things just don't make any sense, when you have no idea what God is up to, when your heart is broken, how do you worship God? Because it's, you know, it's one thing to come and worship God when life is going well, when you've got a secure job, or at least you think your job's secure, when your children are, are doing well, when you've got your health. But what do you do when none of those things are true? How do you worship God during that time? You know, I really believe that the deepest and the most authentic experience of worship and of God's presence is when we're going through a really tough time. There was a believer, his name was, was John, and they call him St. John of the Cross. And he talked about an experience, he called it the dark night of the soul, those times when God seems far away, when he's uninvolved, at least it seems like he's uninvolved. There's times when you, you do the right things, you, you try to pray and you, you try to read the Bible, you try to believe, but... It just seems like God is nowhere to be found. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you may be there this morning. It's important to remember that God says that sometimes, sometimes, He intentionally hides His face from us. Now, why would God do that? To deepen our friendship with Him. To make us more mature in our faith. God may sometimes intentionally test us to see if we will continue to love him and trust him and obey him even when there's no emotional sense of his presence and we just don't see him at work. There's a a man in the Old Testament named Job and he went through a dark night of the soul. And Job says this about his experience of losing his family, losing his health, losing his wealth. He says this, but if I go to the east... He is not there. God is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. This is the dark night of the soul. Job can't see what God is doing, and he can't see God. He says, but he knows the way I take. God still sees me. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Isn't that remarkable faith? This is what God wants us to do when we have that experience called the dark night of the soul. How do you praise God? How do you worship him when your heart is broken and God seems a million miles away? Let me give you some some things you can do. Here's the first thing. 
Keep talking to God. Keep telling God exactly how you feel. Keep pouring your heart out to God. Because listen, it's really an act of faith. You're saying, God, listen, even if you remain silent, I'm going to believe that you will hear me, that you're hearing me right now, that you will respond in your time and in your way. And here's something else we can do. We can trust God to keep his promises. Listen, when you're going through a tough time, don't trust the way you feel emotionally. Trust what God has told you in his word. There's a man, his name is Raymond Edmund. He said this, never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. And here's the third thing. Remember what God has already done for you. That's what we've come to celebrate this morning. What Jesus Christ has done for us. And listen, if God never does another thing for us for the rest of our lives, because of what he's already done, he is worthy of our worship and our praise. And so church, when life is hard, do this. Look back. Look back and remember the cross. And look up. And remember that God loves you like nobody else. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace, for your love. And Lord, thank you that that you want us to love you because you first loved us. And God, I pray that in these next moments as we celebrate communion, as we remember how Jesus laid down his life for us, Lord, I pray that, that we really would sense your presence here with us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.